You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll continue in our new series with part 14, the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ came to teach us the kingdom of God, not just to die on the cross for our sins. It's important we all recognize him as not only our savior, but also our high priest and king. Let's get started. Well, good morning and God bless each and every one of you. Uh, Once again, to our in-person family, those of you that are here at our Derby campus, God bless you. To our online family, those of you that are worshiping, maybe from the comfort of your home, your kitchen, uh, your basement, maybe you're on the road, you're traveling and you're just joining from your mobile device. Wherever you are around the world, we are so honored to have you. And uh, thanks be to God for blessing us with this day to come together to worship. I want you to join me in the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. The scripture will always be on the screen as well. If you got got your old faithful with you this morning, that works too. Uh, Amen. Somebody give God praise for old faithful. Amen. Amen. But um, you can also always follow along with us on our app. The worship center app always has my teaching notes and scripture Uh, and information out there for you. We try to make it easy for you to get in on the word and to apply it to your life. So let's start in Matthew chapter number two, beginning at verse number one. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, some translations say wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star uh, when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, join me uh, at the end, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And I want you to meet me in Revelation chapter 17 and verse number 14 because it says this. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord. Notice capital L of lowercase l, Lords. And He is King, capital K, of lowercase kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. I want to talk this morning about a new understanding, the king and the kingdom. 
Now, for the last several months, we have been examining the Word of God, and we've been focusing on this new that God is doing. All you have to do is just look around, and, you know, we are living in a new time. We are looking, we're looking at things in a new light. A lot of things have changed because of COVID, but in the midst of the change, God is clearly doing new things. And we've been looking at that for the last several months. We started by looking at what God's word says in Isaiah 43, when God says, I do a new thing and I'm doing it now. Behold, it springs up. Will you not perceive it? And we started there because we then moved into mental health and mental fitness and talked about how we have to have a new mindset to embrace the new that God is doing. And then we moved from there and began to talk about a new way to live. And we took some some weeks, and we just examined a few, just a few, there's several more, but we examined a few of the one another commands in the Bible and looked at a new way to serve and a new way uh, to live by way of forgiving and being committed to the body of Christ. Well, on today and over the next several weeks, as we move through December, we're going to talk about a new understanding, the king and the kingdom. And it's fitting that we talk about this now because we are in a season on the Christian calendar called Advent. Um, Advent is a season of expectation, a season that is about preparing for the arrival of Jesus. And then Advent leads right up to Christmas, which is the celebration of the birth of Jesus the Christ. And what's important that we need to understand is that Advent and Christmas is actually the greatest news and the greatest form of hope for all of mankind. But this is not just the case only because Jesus is our Savior. We we can't save ourselves. We do need a Savior. Absolutely. And so Jesus being our Savior is important. But I also want you to understand that the birth and the ministry of Jesus is about so much more than just Him as Savior. Now, most scholars agree that it took the wise men somewhere between three and three and a half years to actually get from the east to where Jesus was. One of the reasons that they suggest that this is the case is because the Greek term that's used to describe child, when the text says over and over and over again, and when they got to the child, they saw the child with Mary, and and that word that, that is translated child is different than the word in the Greek that is translated as a newborn baby. And so by the time the wise men got to Jesus, we, I know that many of us are familiar with the, the nativity scenes that show everybody around the crib, if you will, or the little, uh, I guess, thing that they laid Jesus in, and he was like a newborn baby. That's not actually accurate when it comes to the wise men because the journey took about three and three and a half years. And so Jesus was, was not a newborn baby. He was a child somewhere between the ages of three and four years old. And, and that's important because that's a long trek that the wise men took to imagine this, walking three to three and a half years and journeying on camels across the world just to see Jesus. And when they got to Jesus, the scriptures reveal that they opened their treasures. They worshiped him and they gave him three gifts. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, why myrrh? Because at the time, myrrh was the chief ingredient used to prepare dead bodies. It was one of the chief ingredients used 
in embalming fluid back then. And so they gave Jesus myrrh because they knew that he was born to die for our sins. Now, why frankincense? Frankincense was one of the principal spices used at the time by the Levitical priest when they were in the temple lifting up incense to God. And so they gave him incense because they knew also that Jesus was our ultimate high priest. The Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for us. This is why we have the authority and the boldness to pray. And we don't sign our prayers in the name of Van or in the name of Aaron or in the name of, of Z. We don't sign our prayers that way. We sign our prayers in the name of Jesus. Why? Because he is our intercessor. So they gave him myrrh because he was born to die. They gave him frankincense because he is our ultimate high priest who ever lived to make intercession for us. But they also gave him gold. And they also gave him gold because gold was the only fitting gift for a king. They gave Jesus gold because in addition to being born to die, in addition to being our high priest, he is also our king. See, I need you to see that everything about what these wise men did when they got to Jesus after a three and a half year journey to get to him and they, they bowed down and opened their treasures and worshiped, everything that they did was done to honor him, not just as our savior, not just as our high priest, but it was also done to honor him as our king. And family, there are so many important, significant details about Jesus as king that often we either don't know, we don't understand, or we don't fully appreciate and apply to our life. Often we just focus on him as our savior and we will shout about the blood that saved us and the blood that washed us clean and all of that is great, but often that's all we focus on. Or maybe we'll shout about the fact that, thank you, Lord, that you are my high priest. Thank you that, that I can go boldly before your throne of grace and know that you hear and not only hear, but that you answer prayer. Often we spend so much time focusing on him as savior and high priest, but we don't appreciate or even really understand the significance of him as our king. And that's what we're going to look at over the next several weeks, because when you fully understand and appreciate Jesus as king, it will transform your life in all of the best ways. So many of us recognize him as savior, got that. So many of us recognize him as high priest, but if you're gonna really understand what it means for him to be king, then it's gonna require a new understanding. Now, one of the things that's so significant about this, the, 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 the king and the kingdom, is what Jesus himself said about this. Jesus himself announced that the primary purpose for him being born, coming to earth, was his work as king. Now, I know I just messed up some of your theology. Because I know some of you are like, wait a minute, hold up, hold up now. I know this is a non-denominational church, but watch it, Bishop, because I know that the number one reason he came was to save us. That's part of his ministry. But what did Jesus himself say was the primary reason? His king, him being king, and the kingdom. And don't, don't take my word for it. It's right here in John 18 and verse 37. In John 18 and 37, Pilate said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was what? 
He says, this is the reason I was born. For this cause I'm coming to the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He says, the reason I was born, the reason I came into this world, was because I'm king, and I'm announcing a kingdom. Now, a king cannot be king unless he's got something to rule over. It's impossible for a king to be king over nothing. You're, you're not king. The word, as a matter of fact, kingdom comes from two words, king and domain. Whatever the king rules over is his domain. And so the kingdom is literally the king's domain. Oh, this is so good. I know you're not with me yet, but we're going to get there. Some of you may be thinking, all right, this is great, Bishop. I think I'm tracking with you. I got it. A king has a domain. The domain is whatever the king rules over. But what's the relevance to my life? I mean, I live in a world where there are many authorities, many powers and, uh, and rulers that, that I submit to. So what in the world does the kingdom of God have to do with my life and the world we live in? Thank you for asking that question. That's why we looked at Revelation 17 and 14 a moment ago. Let's go back to it. Because it says that they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord, capital L, of Lords, lowercase l, and because He is King, capital K, of Kings, lowercase k. And what this means is that, yes, there are other authorities and powers that we contend with in this world. But, but the kingdom of God is greater. It supersedes any other authority that we will have to uh, deal with in our lifetime. That's why he's capital L, Lord of Lords. You may have other authorities that lord over you, lowercase l, but the kingdom of God is a capital L, Lord of Lords, King, capital K, of kings, meaning his kingdom, his authority, and his reign supersedes anything else. He's Lord of Lords, and he is King of King. This is so important. It's so important, number one, that Jesus' main message was the kingdom of God. His, his main message, meaning what Jesus talked about the most, was the kingdom. Everywhere he went, the message he preached was a message about the kingdom. Now, I know I'm going to mess some of your theology up, but since we're already here, let's just go ahead and deal with it. Get this. His primary message was not about being born again. I know I lost some of y'all. You're like, I am born again, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized. I, I, I got that. Jesus taught about the importance of being born again, but that was not his primary message. Now, being born again, being saved, opening your heart to the Lord is but the first step. It is a prerequisite, but that is not the dominant message that Jesus preached. Being born again is like the front door. Imagine going to your favorite department store and walking in the door and going no further and just marveling. This is a beautiful foyer. This is a beautiful doorway. No, no, no. You want to go on into your store. You want to go up and down the aisles, and you want to take in everything that your store has. See, being born again is just but the front door. But the most important thing I want you to understand is that this was not, being born again was not Jesus' dominant message. 
Why was this not Jesus' dominant message? Because the driving motivation of Jesus' ministry was not just to get us to heaven. Instead, it was to get heaven to us. This is why the very first thing that Jesus says when he's doing public ministry in Matthew 4 and verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some translations say it's at hand. Some translations say it's near. What, what all of those translations in the Greek mean is that it has arrived. That's what Jesus was preaching. The kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God has arrived. And when he was born, he started to usher in, in his birth, the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God, Bishop? What, what is this? Well, make this note because we're going to come back to this in coming weeks. And I want you to grab hold of this. The kingdom of God is the reign and the rule and the authority of God in the heart of the believer. And here it is, that authority impacting earth through them. Let me give it to you again. The kingdom of God is the reign and the rule and the authority of God in the heart of the believer and impacting the earth with that authority. Y'all missed it. Let me come over here one more time. The kingdom of God is the reign, the rule, and the authority of God in the heart of the believer and impacting the world with that authority. This is why everywhere that Jesus went, he changed lives. Jesus would go into the synagogue and encounter a man with a withered hand who was going to church every single week, but nobody could heal his withered hand. Jesus would, would encounter a woman who had a spirit of infirmity and was bent over 38 years. She was going to church, but there was no breakthrough until she met Jesus. Why? Because what Jesus carried with him is the reign and the rule and the authority of God in his heart, and he was impacting the world through that authority. This was the message of Jesus. Everywhere he went, this is what he was preaching. Everywhere he was going, talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. This was his main message. And since you're not convinced, let me show it to you. Let's do, let's do a real quick Bible study and let's just walk through some of these verses of scripture. In Matthew chapter 12, for an example, in verse 28, there, the Pharisees and stuff think that Jesus is driving out demons and they say he's demon possessed. But he says, listen, but if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says the real proof that the kingdom of God is here is the fact that I am driving out demonic uh, spirits by the spirit of God because the kingdom of God is at hand. Often when Jesus would tell a parable, he would start it like he does in Matthew 18 and verse 23. He would say, therefore, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like... And so he often would tell parables and say, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this because he's teaching people how to live the conduct that God is expecting of us in his kingdom. In Luke 4, in verse 43, Jesus is preaching a long time and they're trying to get him to, to quiet down and, and to rest and maybe go get some lunch. I don't know if we would be around to attend Jesus's church if he was doing earthly ministry today. Right, because you know, we're like 75, 80 minutes here. Jesus would preach a long time, 
And some of y'all would be putting your fingers up saying, uh, I, you know, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, Jesus, I got lunch appointments. Some of y'all be logging off like, ooh, he's nice and he's performing miracles, but she, he sure can't talk. My goodness, Jesus was going on and on and on. Well, in this one instance, I'm sorry, I digress. In this one instance, he's preaching a long time and they're like, Jesus, no, 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 you know, let's, let's take a break. Let's go get some lunch. He says, uh, verse four, uh, chapter four, verse 43, he says, but, but I must proclaim the good news, what? Of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because this is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching. In the synagogues of Judea, he went on and on and on. But what is he preaching? He's preaching the kingdom. Luke 8 and 1 says, after this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of what? The kingdom of God. Luke 9 and 11 says, but, but the crowds learned about it. This is one time Jesus was in one city. He was preaching. He was performing miracles. Then he goes on to the, the next town. And the people find out about it and they follow him. It says, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. I love Luke 12 and verse 31 that says, but seek the kingdom of God and all of this other stuff will be added to you. Don't fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you a car. Oh, I'm sorry. It doesn't say that, does it? It is your father's good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. In Luke 18 and verse 17, Jesus is talking about the heart that we have to have to receive the kingdom. And he says, assuredly, I say to you that whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Luke 22 and verse 29, he says, and I confer on you. He's telling the disciples, I'm giving you the kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I'll give you a couple of more. Matthew 24, verse 14. He says, you know, if you really want to know what the end times are going to, what they're going to be or what will be the precursor to the end times, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel according to Bishop Van, not the gospel according to Bishop Jakes, not the gospel according to your favorite televangelist. He says the gospel of the kingdom will have to be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end is going to come. Even when the disciples saw Jesus praying in Luke 11 and they just recognized by virtue of the way he prayed that there was something different about his prayer. And in verse 1 of Luke 11 it says, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just like John taught his disciples. So he said to him, okay, when you pray, this is how you want to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says you're even supposed to be praying for the kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. This was the main message of Jesus. This is what he talked about more than anything else. This is why those wise men trekked three and three and a half, three or three and a half years just to get to the king because they knew that he was the king and he was ushering in a new kingdom that was going to supersede the kingdom that they were currently subjected to. 
The kingdom of God family is the most important news that could ever be delivered to the human race. Jesus came to establish, literally to restore the kingdom of God to us. So that's point number two. What was he doing when he was here? Why was he born? Not just to save us. He was born, number two, because he came to restore to us the kingdom of God. This is why he focused so intently on this message, because the kingdom of God is really about God's original plan and his original intent for mankind. Amen. Imagine a book. I brought this book. Imagine this book was laying on the table, and I dropped this book, and I pick it up, and I put it on the counter somewhere. Here's the question. Did I restore this book? The answer is no, because I didn't put this book back where it belongs. It belongs on the bookshelf. The only way that I can really restore this book is when it's fallen. I have to reach down, pick it up, and put it in its rightful place. See, likewise, in our sinful, fallen state, we couldn't pick ourselves up and put ourselves back where we belong. So God reached down in Jesus, lifted us up, and restored us to the kingdom that he intended from the very beginning. I, I think, I think, thank you for the three claps and amens. I missed, I missed some of you. So let's rewind the tape. Let's go back to the book of beginning, Genesis 1 and verse 26. Genesis 1 and verse 26. Notice this. There's a Trinitarian conversation happening between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then God said, let us, there it is, make man in our image according to our likeness. Why? Let them have dominion. Over what? The fish of the sea, birds of the air, cattle, all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. There it is again. Over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, when God created mankind, we were created in his image and in his likeness. That's a whole nother message I don't even have time to unpack. But what you must see is that when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit began to have this conversation about why they needed to create man, they said the one reason we need to create man is because man needs to have dominion over the earth, God, that we created. So the whole purpose of the creation account was that God wanted a visible image in the earth of the invisible kingdom that he inhabited. And so God said, let me create man in my image so that man can have dominion on earth over my kingdom. Remember I told you that, that a king has a domain. Domain. Dominion. The real truth of what God gave Adam and Eve was he gave them the kingdom of God on earth. That was his original intent, to extend his heavenly kingdom to earth through mankind. God wanted mankind to encounter his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So when Adam and Eve then sinned, 
It was more than just losing their personal relationship with God. They lost the kingdom. They lost the ability to have dominion. They handed the authority to reign and to rule in the earth. They handed that over to the enemy. They literally gave the enemy the keys to the kingdom on earth. This is why Satan is referred to as the prince of this world. How did he become the prince of this world? He became that prince when Adam and Eve sinned because they gave that authority to rule and, and to, to exercise dominion over God's domain. They gave that over to the enemy. And when that happened, even though they were created for dominion, they became dominated. Y'all missed that over here. Y'all ain't woken up over here yet. Let me, let me talk to y'all over here because I feel something over here. When Adam and Eve sinned, even though they were created to have dominion in God's domain, they became dominated. And that's what sin will do. What, what the enemy will do through sin is he will send you something that looks good on the surface, but it's designed, it's designed, it's got like, like it's like, like uh, when you go fishing and you put the, put the bait on the, on the hook, the, the fish can't, they see the bait, the shiny stuff, but they don't see the hook. And that's what sin is. It, it looks shiny, but it's got a hook in there because what the enemy's trying to do is he's trying to dominate you in order to destroy you. The enemy knows that you are created to reign. The enemy knows that you are created to have authority, that you are created in the image of God to rule, to reign, and to exercise dominion. You, you are God's chosen vessel in that place. You are not called to follow. You're called to lead. You're not called to be the tail. You're called to be the head. You're not called to be subject to authorities. You are called to usher in the kingdom of God as the authority wherever you are. And the enemy knows that. So the enemy says, well, let me see if I can hook them the same way that I hooked Adam and Eve through sin, because instead of them then exercising dominion, they will be dominated. And when that happened, God's plan still was coming to pass because God's plans don't change. So then in Genesis chapter 3, God says very prophetically to the enemy, he says, all right, let me tell you what's going to happen. He says to Adam and Eve and, and to the enemy in Genesis chapter 3, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put enmity, he's talking to the enemy now, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He's saying, enemy, Satan, serpent, there's going to be hostility between your folk and my people. He says, and, and what's going to happen is um, your offspring is going to be uh, really dominated through the offspring of the woman. Who is the offspring of the woman? This is prophetically pointing to Jesus. He says, I'm going to put in between, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he's going to crush your head, but you will strike his heel. But he's going to crush your head. You may nip at his heels, but he's going to crush your head. God is saying, Jesus is coming, and he's going to crush your head. He's going to step on you. You will no longer have authority, and he is going to restore the kingdom of God. Let me just pause here parenthetically. I don't know who this is for, but I feel an unction of the Holy Spirit to tell you this is why you don't have to get down in the gutter with folk. Because the enemy really may just try to nip at your heels, but you have the authority to literally crush his head. Teach Bishop, I am. So when Jesus is born 
And when he begins to do ministry, what is he doing? His main assignment is to preach the kingdom. Why? Because he's crushed the enemy's head. Because the kingdom of God as God originally intended it in the garden is reestablished and reintroduced through Jesus Christ. Now we can reign again. Now we can rule again. Now we can literally be about establishing God's kingdom on the earth through Jesus. But here's the last thing that I'll share with you. This kingdom reality and this kingdom lifestyle requires a new understanding. I don't know that you're going to get everything that we're going to deal with. I don't know that you're going to get everything in one message and we're going to take several weeks to walk through this because it does require a different kind of understanding. This is why the first thing that Jesus preaches, we looked at it a moment ago in Matthew 4 and 17. Let's go back to it. The very first thing he says is he's talking about the kingdom, but he says there's something we have to do. The first thing Jesus says, it says from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when he says repent, literally speaking, repent means to stop, turn 180 degrees, and to go in a different direction. That, that, that's what it means to repent. But, 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 but repentance suggests action, but action only after thinking about it. Repentance means you're on this road and, and, and you start thinking, this is not the road that God wants me to be on. This is, this is not lining up with his purpose for me. This is not according to the will of God. And after thinking about it, you, you stop, you turn 180 degrees, you turn your back to the way that is not for you, you turn towards God's will for your life, and then you start going in that direction. That's what it means to repent. And so when Jesus says repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying, you've been thinking about this thing wrong. He says, you, you've been on the wrong road. Everything that you've been learning as you've been walking on this road is wrong. Stop, think about this thing, turn around, and go in a different direction. And that's really what God has said for this, this season, for us. The reason God has me preaching this is he's saying, because believers, we've been thinking about this thing wrong. God says, and what I need for my people is to stop, think about this thing, turn around, and to go in a different direction. Because we don't fully understand the kingdom. Now, part of the reason we don't really fully get the kingdom is because we live in a democratic society. And the challenge is a lot of times we bring these democratic notions to God thinking that the, the democracy that we live in is the same way that God operates. But that's not true. God's kingdom is a kingdom, not a democracy. In a democracy, the vote of the people matter. But in the kingdom, voting doesn't matter. Only one opinion matters in the kingdom, and that's the, 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 the opinion of the king. In, in a democracy, everybody's got their own opinion. Everybody's got, got something to say, and we got to vote, and then the majority rules. The majority doesn't rule in the kingdom. There's only one ruler, and he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. In a, in a democracy, you know, I don't know. I got my opinion. This is what I believe. None of that matters in the kingdom. Uh, you don't even have to worry about term limits. Oh, Lord, if we can just make it through another four years. No, you don't have to worry about term limits in the kingdom because he is on the throne and his kingdom shall have no end. And his will supersedes everything else. So every kingdom has a king, a territory, a constitution, a citizenry, 
a law, privileges, codes of ethics, an army, a commonwealth, and a social culture. And I know you didn't get all of that, so let me break it down to you really quickly. Every kingdom has a king. And the king is the embodiment of the kingdom. Authority flows from the king. The king sets the standard for the kingdom. Every king and every kingdom has a territory. The territory, I told you a moment ago, that, that's the domain with which the king exercises total authority. Uh, the territory is, is everything that the king owns by right. Everything in the territory belongs to the king. This is why the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and, 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 and they, the world, and they that dwell therein. That's because the world is the territory of the king. But now every kingdom not only has a king, every kingdom not only has a territory, every kingdom also has a constitution. The constitution is the covenant of the king. And it's the covenant of the king and the citizenry. The constitution expresses the mind and the will of the king for the citizens of the kingdom. This is the documented words of the king. They're in the constitution. If you haven't figured it out right now, this is not just the Bible. This is the kingdom's constitution. This is the book that expresses the mind and the will of the king. If you want to understand the king, you got to read the Constitution. If you, want to, if you really want to understand what belongs to you as a citizen of the kingdom, you got to read the Constitution. Every kingdom not only has a king and a territory and a constitution, but every kingdom also has the citizenry. The, the citizenry, the citizenry are the people that live under the rule of the king. I, I love it. The, the citizenry... Um, um, we benefit from the kingdom because we are inhabitants of the kingdom. Now, here's the thing. Citizenship in the kingdom is not a right. It's a privilege. <laughs> it's a privilege. You have to be chosen by the king to be a citizen of the kingdom. This is what the apostle Paul was talking about when he says, for those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image and likeness of, of his son so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It means that God chose you. There may be something called an accidental pregnancy, but there's no such thing as accidental births because even before you were an idea in the mind of your parents, God chose you to be a part of his kingdom and to be a citizen of that kingdom. And here's the beauty of being a citizen of the kingdom. The citizenry recognizes that the king is obligated to care for and protect all of its citizens. In the kingdom, watch this, the welfare of the citizens is not on the citizens. In the kingdom, the welfare of the citizens is the king's responsibility. You know, you're going to get it in a couple of weeks. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33, do you see how the, the lilies of the field are taken care of? Do you see all of that? Why are you worried and fretting over what you're going to wear and what you're going to do tomorrow? Just seek ye first the kingdom 
and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. That's kingdom talk. Because when you read that and you got a, a democratic mindset, then you're thinking, well, I got to go out there and make it happen. But when you know that you are a child of the king, that you are in the family and in the citizenry of the kingdom, then you do know that he shall supply all of your needs. He knows. That's what Jesus is saying. He knows what you have need of. He knows where you are. Your situation maybe surprised you, but it didn't surprise him. And he's already provided for it because he's the king. And you are a citizen of the kingdom. Oh, I'm telling you, when you get this, it'll transform your mind. There's law in the kingdom. Every kingdom has law. And what are the laws? The first five books of the Bible, the law constitutes the standards and the principles established by the king himself. It's the laws of the kingdom that give us the benefits from the king. And when you violate the law, you lose favor. You lose benefits. You lose access that you should be enjoying as a citizen of the kingdom. Then after the law, they're privileges. Hallelujah. They're privileges to being a citizen of the kingdom. The privileges, those are the benefits that the king lavishes on his faithful citizens. In a kingdom, citizenship is always desired. It's always desired. Why? Because once you are in the kingdom, the king is responsible for everything concerning you. And you get privileges. You get opportunities that are only for those in the kingdom. You missed it. Okay. So um, this week I was in California. Uh, my wife and I, we were in California and we were meeting with some bankers. And uh, there's a, a great gentleman and his wife that, that we've done business with uh, for years. And they're a friend of our ministry. And, and they said, well, come out to California. We're going to talk about uh, a few things um, actually in the um, special announcement that we made about December 19th. And uh, those seven churches that are right now going through foreclosure and how we're able to step in and help these churches, it's because of this gentleman. He's going in and negotiating and, and, and helping these banks stop foreclosing on these churches. And we're able to come in and say, okay, we'll help them here. We'll help them there. And so we were out there and we were talking. And so before we got to California, um, we asked him, hey, man, you know, where should we stay? It was up in uh, uh, the San Francisco area, the Napa Valley area. And we said, well, where should we stay? And he said, oh, oh, you got to stay stay at this place. You got to stay at this place and make sure you bring your golf clubs. Make sure you bring your golf clubs. And so we did that. My wife brought her clubs. I brought my clubs and we stayed at this really nice place and we played golf and it's on this golf course where the PGA championships, they play a, a tournament there every, every year. And um, we had lunch and we were, you know, talking business. And I said, hey man, why don't you play here? This course is so amazing. You live right around the corner. Surely you play here all the time. And he said, oh no, 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 I, don't, I, I can't play there. I said, why? He says, because you have to be a member to play there. He says, or if you're not a member, you have to stay at the hotel in order to get access to play there. And he says, see, see, the only time I could probably come over there and play is now because you're there. And I could play as your guest. But the rest of the time, I don't have access. See, there are some people that want access, but they don't have access because they don't know the king. And, and they see you and they see what you're able to do and they're like, wow, that would be incredible. This is why our responsibility is to say, don't covet what I have, but, but connect with who I know. Because it's who I know that gave me access to this kingdom and everything, all of the benefits, all of the privileges 
that come with it. There are privileges. Then there's a code of ethics. I'll give you a few more and then we'll close it. The code of ethics is the acceptable conduct in the kingdom. If you are a kingdom citizen, then you should act in a way that reflects the kingdom that you're a part of. This is the part of the reason when Jesus starts talking about the Beatitudes and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And when he begins to teach about that, he's teaching about conduct in the kingdom and turn the other cheek. Oh, Jesus, I can't do that. No, no. That is the conduct that is demonstrated by people who are in the kingdom. There's a code of conduct, but guess what? There's also an army. There's an army. The, the army is the kingdom's system or way or people who are responsible for securing the territory and protecting the citizens. It's important to understand that in the kingdom, citizens don't fight in the army. Mm -mm. But we as citizens enjoy the protection of the army. Who's the army in the kingdom? Angels are the army in the kingdom of God. Psalm 78 and verse 19 says, He unleashed against them his hot anger, his wrath, his indignation, his hostility, a band of destroying angels. This is why the battle is not yours to fight. This is why the Bible tells us, be still and know that he is the Lord. This is why it says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. This is why it says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Why? Because you have angelic assistance. Because when you are a citizen of the kingdom and you get in trouble, the army, the host of God's heavenly angels starts going to battle for you. Oh, come on. Don't make me preach this thing like I'm talking to myself. Some of you are up in here like me and you were saved from stuff, not because you saved yourself, but because angels got involved. It was an angel that pulled me from a car that flipped over seven times in, in Colorado Springs and pulled me out. That was an angel. Hallelujah. How did you know that you were, you were, you were, you, you survived what you survived? It's because angels were there working things out on your behalf. Am I teaching to anybody? Is there anybody here that's ever gone through some stuff and maybe folk who are not citizens of the kingdom don't understand, but you recognize that it was angelic assistance? That's the army fighting on your behalf. I'll give you two more. I'm out of time. There's a commonwealth too in the kingdom. You know what the commonwealth is? It's the economic system of the kingdom. Every citizen in a kingdom understands the commonwealth. It's the commonwealth that guarantees each citizen equal access to financial security. Once again, this is why Jesus says in Luke 12, don't worry about your life and what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. He goes on and says, but just seek the kingdom. Because when you are a citizen of the kingdom, you automatically are part of the commonwealth. This is why God says, give and it'll be given back to you. Press down, shaking together and running over. Tired, I'll rebuke the devour for your sake. Why? Because when you are part of the kingdom, then you get the commonwealth. You get the fact that I will keep you, that I will provide for you. David says, I was young and, and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. That's kingdom language. He's talking about the commonwealth. He always provides. 
Abraham gets to the top of Mount Moriah and realizes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got up here thinking I was going to have to sacrifice my son, but you got a ram in the bush. Why? Because you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord who provides. That's kingdom language. He will provide. I don't know who this is for, but if you feel like, I don't know, I'm going to make it, God will provide. And what you got to understand as a citizen of the kingdom is that the king is obligated to provide for you. And so often we get in the way instead of letting him have his way. Teach Pastor Van, teach Bishop, teach Dr. Moody. I don't know which name I need this morning. We get in the way instead of letting God have his way because we think we got to work it out. And God is saying, fool, get out the way. I'm the king. You ain't the king up in here. You are the citizens of my kingdom. This is why Paul said, I know that my God shall supply all of your needs according to what? His riches. Because the king doesn't experience recession. A lot of times I pull my phone out because I just follow my stocks. And then on the iPhone, you know, you got this little screen that you can set up all of your stocks. And sometimes when, when there's in, it's in the green, that means the stocks are up. And I'm like, yes, Lord. But then it's in the red. I'm like, why, Lord? <laughs> that means the stock has gone down. But every time it's in the red, I'm like, why, Lord? The Lord reminds me. But that's not where your source is. If you put all of your eggs in the stock market, you're, you're, you're betting on a lesser kingdom. Oh. But my kingdom doesn't experience a downturn in the market. My, my kingdom doesn't experience setbacks and recessions based on the real estate market or based on the treasury yield. My kingdom is bigger than that. I own a cattle on a thousand hills. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. When you get this, I'm telling you, it'll change your mindset. But here's the last thing. Every kingdom has a social culture. This is the environment created by the life and manners of the king and his citizens. This is when you, you live a certain way and it's obvious by virtue of the way that you live that you are part of that kingdom. And what you need to understand is that that's part of the reason why sometimes God allows the hardships and the difficulties to happen in your life because it's really an opportunity for you to demonstrate the social culture. Oh, you mean they called you everything but a child of God and you blessed them anyway? They tore you down on social media and you still prayed for God to use them? They slapped you on the cheek and you turned the other cheek? What is that all about? That's the social culture. That's the proof that you're in the kingdom. And it's sad because we sing about the kingdom, but then we behave in a way that looks like the world. And God is saying, well, if you're in the kingdom, you ought to have a social culture. There ought to be a culture about the way we live and the way we act and what we say and we don't say that gives off this fragrance that's different than the world. People ought to look at us and say, there's something different about you. There's something different about you. There's something real different about you. Why? Because you are a citizen of the kingdom. This is why... The last verse of Matthew 2 says the disciples, rather the Magi, when they saw Jesus, it says that they went home a different way. It said after they made that three and three and a half year trek to get to Jesus and they bowed down and worshiped him and opened their treasures. It says they were warned in a dream to not go back to Herod. Why? Because Herod is a lesser king. 
They said, I can't answer to you because we've seen the king. And it says that they, they went home another way. That's the true evidence that you are a citizen of the kingdom and that you understand your kingdom privileges. You go home a different way. Your life is transformed. Your thinking is transformed. Your perspective is transformed. You are not the same. That's why the Bible says that we are in the world. But we're not of the world. <laughs> because we are of another kingdom. So here's, here's what our amazing creative team did for you. Online and in person. So much work goes into Sunday morning. And we pray and we plan and we work because we want lives to be changed when they connect with our ministry. There is a kingdom passport that we put together for you. And you can scan the QR code, download it for free. A lot of what I shared with you, I didn't come here this morning thinking that you were going to get it all in one message. There's some stuff in this kingdom passport that, that I want to encourage you to study this week. I want to encourage you, maybe share it with somebody else, but don't give me your copy. Show them how to get their own copy. Because this new understanding, this new approach to life is going to be on the backside of our mindset shifting to understand that you are not on the bottom, that you are not the tail, that you are not a straggler, that you are not forgotten about. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And to be a citizen of the kingdom means that all of the resources, all of the authority, and all of the power of the kingdom is available for you. But you have to know that the kingdom operates in a totally different way than the democracy that we live in. And we've got to bring our life in line with the kingdom precepts. And so my prayer for you is that you would scan that QR code online in this sanctuary, wherever you are, download your kingdom passport. Read it, study it this week, share it with others because we're coming back next week and we're going to go even further into the king and the kingdom. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for those that had a heart to receive it. And I thank you, Lord, now for those who have decisions that need to be made. Lord, there's some people under the sound of my voice that before they can really fully embrace the kingdom, they first have to become citizens of the kingdom. And the way they do that, Lord, is by opening their heart to you. And I pray for those who need to do that now. I pray for those who know you, but they're not a part of a kingdom community. Lord, I pray that they would connect with the worship center in person, online by way of our television community. However they can get in, God, I pray that they would make the decision to connect this morning. We pray for those individuals, Lord, who have drifted from you and they haven't been experiencing the kingdom realities that belong to them. Lord, I pray for those who are going to come back to you this morning and rededicate and recommit their life to you. So, Lord, we thank you for this word. We pray this week as people download the kingdom passport and read it, that your precious Holy Spirit would begin to rewire our thinking so that we can think in line with who we really are by virtue of the birth of not just our Savior and our High Priest, but our King Jesus. Lord, we bless your name, and we thank you now.
In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Bishop Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.